So we're continuing our way through uh, Matthew. We're in chapter 6 today. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 5 through verse 15. So um, those of you that have been here, uh, chapter 5 kind of beat us up a little bit. It was it was rough in some respects. <laughs> um, Dave Krebs asked me this morning, he's like, now that we're in chapter 6, is it going to be a little bit easier to handle than chapter 5? Uh, and in some respects, may, maybe so, but, but also, like, you know, God's Word sometimes offends us, and it steps on our toes, and it should, if we're reading God's Word correctly, it should offend us at times, and, and come against our, our sensibilities, and come against our uh, intuition, and, and those kinds of things. Um, if, it, if it doesn't, we're not doing it right, so, so praise God that, um, that He can ruffle our feathers in ways that our feathers need to be ruffled. Um, as we get into chapter 6, Matthew starts to, to share Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded by Matthew, starts to shift from showing us how we've failed to uphold the law to now uh, showing us about practicing our righteousness in front of others in order to be seen. In chapter 6, verse 1, he just says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he gets into a few different areas of where... Um, the religious people of his day practice their righteousness in front of others. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It says this. It says that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And so Jesus is teaching us something here about prayer. And I don't, I don't think that Jesus is so much teaching us a formula for prayer in this passage as much as he's teaching us a posture of prayer. There's, there's a difference. I don't think Jesus is saying that, that if you say these words every time or do things in a certain order, that you're going to get what you ask for. Right? God, God is not our genie in a bottle, although oftentimes we, we can treat God like that when we pray. Right? I've, 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 I've wrestled for years now with just kind of this mystery of prayer. Do, do the things that I, like, like, do I change God's mind when I pray? <laughs> I don't know. Do I ever pray and does God say, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> no. If God is sovereign, which we believe here, that God is in control of everything. He sees everything. He hears everything. He knows everything. He's everywhere all the time. Nothing happens anywhere that's outside of his watch. There's never a moment in eternity where God says, huh, I wonder how that happened. Like we believe that God controls everything, all the time, everywhere. And if that's true, how do you, how do you pray to that God? I, I like to think, and I've shared this many times before, like i got a lot of good ideas to put in the suggestion box, and God hears my ideas pretty regularly about the way that things ought to be, about the way that the world ought to be, about the way that my life ought to be. 
Right? I'm, I'm an analytical mind. It's like my ideas are legit. <laughs> but God doesn't need that from me. And in this passage, like I said, I don't think he's giving us a formula to say, if you do it this way every time, this is what I'll pay attention to. I don't think it's that at all. He starts off this portion of, of the Sermon on the Mount by saying that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And so you must not be like the people that say one thing and do another thing. Because those people, those hypocrites that he's referring to, the religious people of his day, he says that they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, not for righteousness' sake, but that they may be seen by others. So, so they put on a show. That's the hypocrites that Jesus is talking about. The people that, that do what they do for their own benefit, not, not to the glory of God. Or maybe not even to the benefit of the people, but to their own benefit. And Jesus says, if, if that's you, that's the reward that you, that, that's your reward. Right? There, there's no reward beyond that. But he tells us that when you pray, he says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Now, what I don't think Jesus is saying here is that every time you pray, you have to go somewhere secret, right? We've prayed here quite a bit this morning, right? And it's not necessarily in secret. We've prayed here quite a bit this morning in a very public way. So I don't think Jesus is condemning public prayer. He's condemning prayer that is more about you than it is about him, but he's not condemning public prayer. But, but he's giving us a principle here of not being like the hypocrites, not, not praying so that you would be seen. And so go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And he reminds us that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Right. So, so you don't have to come to church to pray, although we, we pray here and we will always pray here. Right? But you can, you can pray on your own. Right? You can pray in your car. You can pray in your bedroom. You can pray as you go. And then he reminds us about the religious people of his day that they heap up empty phrases. So, so their prayers are verbose. Their prayers are full of words, lots of words, thinking that, that the more polished that my prayers sound, maybe, maybe God will pay attention to the more polished prayer. So some of the greatest prayers are, are some of the most unpolished prayers that you might ever hear. I find for me sometimes... Sometimes my prayer is just, God, help. So sometimes my prayer is not giving God the idea of how to help or what needs. Uh, there's, there's plenty of that too, but sometimes the prayers like are just help. Like I don't even know what to say right now except help. Sometimes the prayer is just, God, have mercy. Like I read a lot of news and I read through the headlines and that's as I'm reading the headlines, that's oftentimes the prayer, God, have mercy on us. God, forgive us, Right? That doesn't need my words to pay more attention. And so Jesus, I think, is giving us a bit of a, a principle here that, that we don't have to pray out on the street corner in order to be seen, and we don't have to have the most polished prayers. We, we can pray in secret, and God still knows, because again, He's everywhere all the time. He knows all, He hears all, He sees all. He controls all. And so... We can pray in secret, trusting and knowing that God will hear us. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this reward isn't necessarily getting the exact thing that we pray for. Right? We're, we're flawed people. We're broken people. We're selfish people. We're prideful people. 
So sometimes the things that we pray for are not necessarily in line with the things that God would do. And not that we pray necessarily in a malicious sort of a way. We don't know what God knows, right? We don't know what God knows. If we knew everything that God knew, we would pray probably very differently than we pray now. But we don't know what God knows. And so our prayers in that regard can fall kind of short. We ask God for things that maybe He won't do. That doesn't mean that God doesn't hear us. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or doesn't care about us. Again, He's not our genie in a bottle where if we rub the, the bottle just the right way, that the genie will come out and grant our wishes. Our Father who sees in secret, He'll reward us. The reward is, is our communion with God, not necessarily Him doing everything that we would ask of Him. What kind of God would we serve if He was at our beck and call? That He wouldn't be God, right? He wouldn't be a sovereign God if He did everything that we asked all of the time. Jesus tells us, don't, don't be like those people that pray just to be seen. Don't be like those people that pray publicly for their own benefit, for their own praise. Now, we would expect in our context, right? as pastors, we stand up here and we, we pray publicly a lot, and, and our prayers are probably going to be a little more polished just because we do this, Right? But for the people that don't get to stand up here and pray all the time, those prayers might not be quite as polished. They might not sound so professional, right? That's okay. Because again, God God knows. Our Father sees in secret and He will reward us. And so we're told in these first few verses what not to do or how not to be, what, what posture not to assume. Don't assume a hypocritical posture. Don't assume a posture that is for your own benefit. But as we get into verse 9, then we get some instructions on what prayer should be. In verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Now, do we have to start every prayer by saying our Father in heaven? I don't, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. Again, this isn't a formula. This is a posture that he's presenting to us. And when we start off our prayers being reminded that we have a Father in heaven, maybe that affects the way that we pray. Maybe that affects the thing that we're about to say, the thing that we're about to ask for, the request we're about to give. Reminding us that we have, first of all, a Father. Right? We have lots of views of God. The Bible gives lots of different views of God. Right? God is a judge. He's a righteous judge. Right? He's the justifier. Um, but, but we have a Father. I'm reminded of something I read years ago uh, from pastor and author Tim Keller. And he, he says something to, I might butcher this, I'll try not to, but he says something to the effect of what, what kind of person will wake up a king in the middle of the night to ask for a glass of water? And the answer is the child of the king. And he says, we have such a father and we are such children. Right? We have a father in heaven who, who is eager to hear from us. We have a father who will listen to us. Right? And so, so we remember that we have a father, but we have a father in heaven. So a father that is over all, a sovereign God, a father that loves us, a father that cares for us, a father that created us. And a father that, that somehow in his economy, our prayers matter. Whether we change his mind or not, like our prayers matter. Our communion with God matters. And it's by his design that it matters. And so having this posture of that in your thinking before we even go to God with anything matters. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name, holy be your name. And it's not that we make God or his name any more holy than it already is. We don't add to or subtract from God's holiness. That's not what Jesus is getting getting at. Again, this this is a posture of, of me and you being reminded that God is perfect, that he's holy, that he's righteous. And the other side of that coin is being reminded that I'm not perfect and I'm not holy and I'm not righteous. I'm not hallowed. God, God is hallowed. He's, he's the perfect one. So our Father in heaven is perfect and righteous and holy and pure. And that's who we're going to in prayer is that God. Your kingdom come. Now, I don't know about you. A lot, a lot of my prayers tend to be about building my kingdom. Again, i got a lot of good ideas. I have a kingdom, right? And a lot of my prayers are like, God, if you would do, if you would do this, then, then this over here would work out really good for me. God, if you could change this, then this would make my life so much easier. God, if you could, if you could give me this, then, then I've, got, I've got it figured out like the last piece of the puzzle, right? We're not told to pray for our kingdom to come. We're told to pray that God's kingdom would come. And again, this, this is a posturing of, of realizing that there's a kingdom bigger than mine. Right? As, as a prideful, selfish human being, I'm never going to get rid of the prayers of building my kingdom. I, I just am not as a sinful man. But I have to be reminded there, there's a kingdom that's bigger and better than as good as I think my kingdom is. There's a kingdom bigger and better than mine, and it's God's kingdom. And and so my posture in prayer ought to be acknowledging that truth. Acknowledging God's kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not not my will. Again, i I got a lot of good ideas, and and I impose my will on God a lot. You probably do the same thing. We, We tend to think like God thinks a lot like me. You probably think God thinks a lot like you. Right? And so, so we impose our will upon God in our prayers. And so again, as a posture, not a formula, this reminds us that, that we submit to the will of God as Christians, as children of God. We submit to His will. Not our will, but His will be done. And not only on earth, but in heaven as well. So, so there's the reality of God's will happening right now, unfolding on earth. But there's also the reality that God's will in heaven has already been decreed. And so God's will is unfolding always, all of the time, everywhere, in all circumstances. Now, again, there's some mystery there that I don't fully understand. There's a lot of gnarly things happening in the world. And how do you look at those gnarly things and equate them to being God's will? I I don't have a full answer for that except that God is sovereign over all. He controls everything, everywhere, all of the time. He sees all, hears all, knows all, is all-powerful, and nothing happens outside of his watch. I think it was Abraham Kuyper who talked about that there is not a rogue molecule anywhere in the universe. They all submit to the will of God. Now, we have human sinfulness mixed in there, right? Our, our own brokenness and our own flaws, and that's why there's gnarly things that happen in the world because we're a sinful, arrogant, selfish, prideful, unrighteous people. Romans chapter 1 tells us that we are inventors of evil. 
Right? That, that's Of all the indictments in the Bible, maybe the worst one is that we're inventors of evil. Right? There's no end to the evil that we can come up with as, as human beings. And so somehow, with that being true, it's also true that God's will is unfolding in everything, everywhere, all of the time, is working towards the end for which God created everything. So again, there, there's mystery there that I don't fully understand, but our posture in prayer is that not my will be done, but that His will be done. Realizing that, that even in our prayers, like we're flawed in the things that we ask God for. Because again, we, we don't know what God knows. We don't see what God sees. We don't hear what He hears. And so we have an inability to pray perfectly. Now, that doesn't mean that we ought to stop praying. Not at all. Again, this idea of posturing helps guide our prayers. So His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. How, how many of us have, have pray, how many of you guys prayed this week that you would have picked the right numbers? Right? Get to get the billion dollar jackpot. <laughs> how many of you have, have prayed to God, like, God, if I could just make a little bit more money or have just a little bit more in the retirement account? God, if you could provide more than you're providing now, that would be great. Right? We pray those kinds of things. But we're told here, just give us this day our daily bread. Here in a couple of weeks, the passage is going to talk about the troubles of today are sufficient for today. Now, I don't think the Bible is advocating you know, that we don't save for retirement or, or that we don't give any thought to tomorrow whatsoever. I don't think that at all. We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But there's, this, again, this posturing in prayer that we would ask God just to provide for us what we need for today and that we would be content with what God has provided for us today. We, we just read a couple of verses back that, that God knows what we need before we even ask for it. So what, what does that mean in the context of prayer? If God already knows what I need and I don't even have to ask for it, right? God knows when the refrigerator isn't as full as it could be. God knows when the bank account isn't as high as it could be. He knows those things. And again, I don't think Jesus is advocating here that, that we would never pray that God would provide for us. I don't think he's advocating for that at all. But the prayer here is just give us today what we need for today. And there's an idea of, of, of not being greedy that's maybe mixed in with this. Because God knows. We, we Westerners, we, we Americans, we, we like to think that, that we uh, can take care of ourselves, that we're self-sufficient. Right? We, we Westerners don't, don't like always the idea of charity or a handout. Right? We like the idea of being able to do for ourselves. But, but I think the Bible would advocate for the Christian that, that no matter what name it is that's on the top of your paycheck, that ultimately God is your provider. Not you, not your employer, not your own willpower or your strength or your ingenuity, but, but God is ultimately the provider for His children. And so our posture in prayer, according to Jesus, is that we would simply be content with what God has provided for us today. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We'll come, we'll come back to this one in a moment because Jesus circles back around to that. So hold on to that one for a moment. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Now, we know that it's not God who leads us into temptation. It's our own sinful hearts that lead us into temptation. Our own wicked, sinful, wrong desires that lead us into temptation. But the posture here in prayer is asking Jesus for help. Help. Deliver us from evil. Knowing that that I can't deliver myself from evil. One thing I know is true about me is that if I put myself in a position to be tempted by something, nine times out of ten, I'm I'm probably going to give in to that temptation, right? And so the idea here is that, that we can't do this on our own and that we need God's help to deliver us from evil. And so you put all that together and there, there's a posture that comes from that in prayer that, that if we believe these things to be true, maybe that changes some of the things that we would ask for or say in prayer. And it's probably worth noting, have you ever, have you ever had a friend or, or somebody that you know, family member, that they just constantly ask you for things all the time? What, what kind of relationship is that when someone just asks? Like we, we go to God in prayer and we ask God for, I ask God for a lot of things. But, but i got to remind myself sometimes in prayer that, that maybe this time I don't need to ask for anything. <laughs> right? Maybe my prayer in, in, a, in a given moment is more just acknowledging God's faithfulness in my life. Maybe in a given moment it's, it's being thankful for things. Right? Like I don't always have to ask God for things when I pray. Again, He, he knows anyway. He knows what I need. And, and maybe the things that I'm asking for in His estimation are not necessarily things that I need. Right, And so we, we have a posture here that, that Jesus is giving us that, that, that there's somebody, something out there bigger than us, right? namely God. He has a will that has already been decreed in heaven that's unfolding on earth. He knows our needs and so we depend upon Him and trust in Him for what we need in a given day. It's His kingdom that's being built, not mine. It's His will that's unfolding, not mine. It's because of His goodness to us, His grace in our lives, that He can deliver us from evil, that we can trust in Him for that. And then Jesus ends this passage. We're circling back around to forgiveness. He ends this passage by saying, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And this seems like Kind of a left turn at the end of this posturing of prayer. Right? Here's, the, here's this posture of prayer. Oh, and by the way, if you don't forgive people, you're not going to be forgiven. Well, what's that about? It, it doesn't seem to fit, except that it does. Jesus reminds us, I think in this statement, that, that we are a forgiven people. And there's something disingenuous for the person who would claim to follow Christ, the person who who would go to God in prayer and ask for anything on one hand, and then on the other hand, hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness towards another person. Now, I say that with a caveat that like it's not easy. For, forgiving people is not an easy thing, and, and we wrestle with forgiveness here in this life. So I'm not talking about wrestling with forgiveness. I don't think Jesus is talking about that either. But, but, it, but it's holding a bitterness and an unforgiveness 
there's a disconnect there when you want the benefits of faith and you're not willing to walk in faith. That's the disconnect. We go to God in prayer, which is an act of faith. The fact that we would pray to God, that we have to acknowledge that He exists, or at least that we think that He exists, right? That's an act of faith, praying to God. And whatever it is that we would submit to God, it's an act of faith, trusting that He would somehow hear us, and that He might act on the things that we bring to Him. Right? That's an act of faith. Forgiveness at the end of the day is also an act of faith. Now, I don't want to get off out of the context of what we're talking about here because Jesus isn't unpacking the idea for us of forgiveness, but let me just say this. But at the end of the day, forgiveness is an act of faith more than it's anything else. Sometimes we look at forgiveness as saying that something is okay that really isn't okay. That's not forgiveness. Sometimes we look at forgiveness as, as sweeping something under the carpet, like maybe if I just forget about it, then, then everything will be all right. That, that's not forgiveness. Sometimes we look at forgiveness as saying to somebody else that's wrong, to saying, well, that wasn't a big deal. That's not forgiveness. Our, our Bible tells us that at the end of the day, everybody is headed for two fates, the fate of damnation or the fate of redemption. That's everybody's fate, according to the Bible. And that fate is fully, fully up to God. It's God who damns. It's God who redeems. I don't do that. You don't do that. It's God who does that. We're told that vengeance belongs to God. Like that's His. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's His. And so forgiveness, it's none of those things that I mentioned, but it is fully an act of faith in God, trusting that He's going to do what He says He's going to do. Trusting that, that one way or another, he's, he's going to right the wrongs that have happened to all of us. Trusting that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for not only all of the wrongs that I've done, but all of the wrongs that have, done, have been done against me. That's what, that's what forgiveness really is. It's an act of faith. And so there's a disconnect when on one hand we can go to God and exercise some faith and say, God, will you do these things for me? And then on the other hand, say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to withhold forgiveness or I'm not going to walk in faith over here. Right? There's a disconnect there. And again, we're not talking about with the wrestle of forgiveness because there's a, a wrestle that's real and that's legitimate. Forgiveness isn't always easy. Sometimes it's pretty hard. And then there's, there's room for that. There's grace for that. And so Jesus is not taking a hard left turn here at the end. He's reminding he's reminding us that, that prayer is an act of faith, just like forgiveness is an act of faith. They both require faith in someone bigger than us, someone outside of us, someone stronger than us, someone more powerful than us, someone that can do things that we can't do. Right? If I could do the things that I prayed for, I wouldn't need to pray for them. Right? I, I pray for the things that, that I can't accomplish. And I pray to somebody bigger than me and more powerful than me. Right? And so there's this component of faith and where the disconnect comes is that when, when you say that I want to I have the benefits of faith but not walk in faith. And circling back around to the very beginning, Jesus says, don't, don't be like the hypocrites. Well, that's the hypocrites that he's talking about. So sandwiched in between, don't be like the hypocrites and, and the disconnect of unforgiveness in prayer Sandwiched in there is this posture that reminds us of who God is. 
reminds us of what He does for us. Reminds us that, that He knows all, sees all, hears all, controls all. Everywhere, all the time. And so if these things are true, what, what does that do to the way that we pray? So, so I would ask you to consider for yourself what your own prayer life looks like, the kinds of things that you pray for, the moments that you pray. Right? Do, do we wait for the, like, kind of Jesus take the wheel type moments? Like there's a crisis, and, oh, I guess I better pray now in a crisis? Sure, we should pray when, when crises hit. But is that the only time you pray? Right? Is the only time you pray when things don't go your way? Right? What, what, is, what is this, what we've just talked about, what does this do to how you pray? And so, so my challenge to all of us today is to consider how we pray, to consider what we pray for, to consider when we pray. And then as we consider those things, that we would also consider the component of faith that it takes to pray. Do you really believe when you pray that God can deliver? And not just that things would go your way, but, but do you believe that, that God is bigger than you, and that even though you might be praying for one thing, God might be saying, you know what, That's, you, you're flawed, and you don't see all, you don't hear all, you don't know all, I've got another idea for you. And, and are we okay with that? Like His will, not, not our will, to consider those things. And so what we see kind of between the lines of this posture of prayer is, is the truth of the gospel that tells us who Jesus is, that tells us what he's done for us, that reminds us of his sovereignty, controls everything everywhere all of the time, that he's our provider, that he has forgiven us, and because he has forgiven us, then we ought to walk in forgiveness towards others, as difficult as that can be, that, that we can have faith in God who has done for us things that we could never do for ourselves. That's what we see kind of in between the lines of this. And so I think Jesus is giving us even just a little bit more than a posture in prayer, but a reminder of gospel truth that shapes the way that we pray. And so as we consider that, and these are things that we've got to be reminded of all the time. Even though I'm the one standing up here preaching this, I regularly have to catch myself like, oh, maybe, maybe I prayed for something that I shouldn't have prayed for, or, you know, asked for things, that, you know, maybe not remembering these things when I pray, right? So we've got to be reminded over and over of this gospel truth. The God who lived the life that we could never live, the God who, who took the punishment rightfully deserving, deserved by us, so that he could take everything that's bad and wrong and ugly and terrible about us and trade it for his righteousness. Right? That's, that's the truth of the gospel. And that ought to shape the way that we pray. We get to share in that truth today as we take communion. Right? Communion is a, a visible reminder for us of this gospel truth. We participate in the body and the blood of Christ, remembering that, that He has done for us things that we could and would never do for ourselves, reminding us um, together that we do this publicly and we do this corporately so that we can be reminded together of the truth of the gospel. That's why communion is a, is a beautiful thing and that we get to do it. And we get to remember that Christ is for us. And so I want to I want to pray for us considering this posture of prayer, and then 
we'll get to share communion together, remembering the truth of the gospel. Father, we're thankful today. We're thankful that that we can come to you. We're thankful that uh, that you hear our prayers, even as flawed as they might be at times. We're thankful that you give an ear to us, that you're mindful of us. God, we're thankful that you do things on our behalf for us. God, we're even thankful that that sometimes, maybe oftentimes, that, that you even say no to the things that we pray for because you know things that we don't know. God, we're thankful that you're in control. We're thankful that you provide for us. We're thankful that your kingdom has come and is coming and will come. God, we're thankful that you have a will that has been decreed in heaven that's unfolding on the earth. We're thankful that you provide for us. We're thankful that you have forgiven us of our sin and that you grant us repentance. We're thankful uh, for your work. And so God, today as we consider these things, as we consider uh, the gospel and are reminded of the gospel as we share this time of communion together, God, I pray that you would uh, impact our lives, impact uh, our thinking, impact our heads and our hearts uh, in ways that, that we have a deeper understanding of the truth of the gospel, that we have a deeper appreciation for your word, that we have a deeper love for you and for one another uh, in all of this. And again, God, we're thankful that we can even come to you with these things and that you uh, somehow pay attention to us, that you're mindful of us. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.